We've been teaching a series on the Holy Spirit for a number of weeks, and we want to continue along that line. So let's start in John chapter 16 tonight. We haven't really had an outline for these Holy Spirit, uh, or for the series on the Holy Spirit. We've just been kind of taking our time and turning over rock, every rock, so to speak, and want to do that a little bit, go a little bit further into that tonight. John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he heareth, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now there are other scriptures here in uh, John 14 and 15 where Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit as the helper. Uh, I'm sure you know that that Greek word paraclete means a lot more than, than uh, he calls him the comforter. It means a lot more than just the comforter. The Amplified brings out that th there's a sevenfold meaning to this word paraclete. It means counselor, comforter, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby. So you could well understand that the Holy Ghost has taken that place as described by each of those seven characteristics. He's obviously talking about the work of the Holy Spirit being to bring you into victory. If he's our helper, we can't lose. If he's our intercessor, then we're never separated from our Father. If he's our advocate before God, then we never lose a case. If he's our strengthener and our standby, then we'll always have the power or the resources that we need to get the job done. So Jesus is certainly talking to his disciples about the victory that comes with the help of the Holy Spirit. And he's identifying that the Holy Spirit's work is to help us to comfort us and to show us and to guide us into all truth. Now notice that phrase where it says he shall not speak of himself. Jesus is emphasizing the words spoken or the fact that the Holy Ghost will speak to us. He'll guide us into all truth. He won't speak of himself. Well, if he doesn't speak of himself, what does he speak? It says he speaks that which he hears. He must be talking about what he hears from God the Father. Well, even at that, if, if the Holy Spirit is directing messages to us from God himself then we're going to come out victorious in every case now it's interesting when you think of the big picture and look at uh, the plan of God how that we see that the disciples were born again after Jesus was raised from the dead he appears to them when they're all together behind closed and locked doors they're afraid of the the Jews the religious leaders coming after them now that they've crucified Jesus. And Jesus appears unto them and breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Ghost. Now something changed in them because from that point forward, they're not behind closed doors anymore. They're not hiding from the Jews. It says they're openly in the temple. It says that they were going to the temple daily with joy. They're not afraid anymore. Well, those are characteristics that are identified as a part of the new birth in Galatians chapter 5 where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. But then in Acts chapter 2 it tells us about how when the Holy Ghost was poured out. It says that they were all, 120 of them were gathered into the upper room. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak. Began to speak. Now folks when we realize and understand that according to Genesis 1.26... God's original plan for man was for him to have authority and dominion here on the earth. Then after the redemptive work of Jesus is finished, what he gives us is a means of communication. He gives us utterance to speak. That utterance to speak, these words of the Holy Ghost that are given, are to enable us to exercise authority here on the earth. They were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I think one thing that messes people up, most people don't understand, at least, at least people that uh, aren't filled with the Spirit. One of the things that they don't understand is that they think the Holy Ghost is the one talking in tongues. But he's not. He has no need to talk in tongues. We're the ones that speak in other tongues. Well, what's the supernatural aspect to it then? The supernatural part is what we're saying. It's the utterance that's given to us. It's not supernatural that you and I speak in other tongues. What's supernatural is what we're saying. 
Now turn with me also over to First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. We looked at the list of nine things that are identified as manifestations of the Spirit. We'll start in verse 7. It says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith, the Amplified says special faith, by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues. Notice the word divers is in italics. That means the translators added it and it wasn't in the original text. So to another kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these work at that one and the self-same spirit dividing to every man severally as he wills. Now, notice it speaks of a manifestation of the Holy Spirit as kinds of tongues. What kinds of tongues are there? What is this difference in tongues, the different kinds of tongues that the Bible refers to? Well, Paul gives us a hint in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 1, he starts explaining the importance of operating these manifestations of the Spirit in love. Notice it says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... The different kinds of tongues are tongues of men and tongues of angels. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels I have, and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now go with me over to chapter 14. He's going to give further information, more information about the supernatural utterance of speaking in tongues. Verse 2, it says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, do you see the word unknown is in italics? The word unknown is not in the original text. It's, it's used several different times, but it's not in the original text. The point that it's trying to convey, and it's a good point to make, the point it's trying to convey is that it's unknown to you. But if we're speaking tongues of men, it's not unknown to the people that hear. One of the things that we see, we didn't read far enough over in, in Acts chapter 2, but I, I trust you'll remember it. It says on the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Ghost fell, and everybody's speaking with tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance, it, they spilled out into the street. And people are curious about what's going on. And one of the things that was said by the, by the passers-by is that we hear them speaking in our tongues, the wonderful works of God. So that means one of two things. That means either God, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, or we'll just say it this way, the Holy Ghost was giving utterance to some to speak in the tongues of men. Or it could mean that there was a miracle that was being done in their ears. It might mean that, the, that God performed a miracle and enabled them to hear in their own languages when that might not have been the language that people were speaking. We don't know which one it is. Either one's miraculous, so I'm good either way it goes. I was blessed by a testimony that I heard a long time ago uh, about two young men that uh, made acquaintance and, and became friends when they went to the same university. One of them was a Pentecostal Christian, a spirit-filled Christian, and the other was a Jewish guy. Well, the, the spirit-filled Christian wanted to win his friend to the Lord, so he said, I want you to go to church with me. And the Jewish fellow said, I've never been to church don't know if I can do that. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll go with you to the synagogue and then next week we'll go with, together to my church. So he went to the synagogue with his friend and after that was over, his friend's now kind of on the hook to go. So they went to this Pentecostal church, the Spirit-filled guy's church, and somewhere during the service, it was a Sunday night and so it was a real small crowd, I guess. And sometime during the service, there was a woman that stood up and began speaking in other tongues. And the pastor waited after she finished. He waited to see if anybody would give an interpretation, and nobody did. And that kind of disturbed him because he knew that he didn't have the interpretation of it. So he didn't want things to be done out of order or anything like that. But if you don't have the interpretation, it doesn't make sense to try to fool people and say something. So he just let it go. 
And after the service, this Jewish fellow came up with his friend to the pastor and said, who was that woman? And he said, what woman? Who are you talking about? That woman that stood up and started speaking to me. And the pastor laughed and he said, well, he said, I, I, I guess you're talking about the lady that stood up and spoke in other tongues, but she wasn't talking to you. And he said, yeah, she called me by name. Who is she? Well, the pastor brought her up. He had kind of explained to her ahead of time. This woman was uneducated. She didn't even have a fifth grade education. She did menial work just to make a living. And so he brought this lady up uh, to introduce him to this guy. And this fellow started trying to speak to her in, in Hebrew language. And, of course, she just looked dumbfounded, as we all would. She didn't know what he was saying, and it convinced him. After talking with her for a bit, it convinced him that she didn't know anything about what she said. She certainly didn't plan it. She didn't know him or anything else. And as you can well imagine, that led to his salvation. The pastor began to tell him about Jesus and what these things mean and, and so forth. And so he got him saved. But here we would think, and many times we get to be such sticklers for how we think things are supposed to be done. And here's God moving in a spectacular way to reach somebody in a, in a, and the supernatural means that it came about was something where he would recognize the Jewish fellow that got saved. He recognized there's no, anybody, no way anybody could have known. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, literally that just means he that speaketh in a tongue, speaketh not unto men but unto God, for no man understandeth him. How be it in the spirit? Notice that phrase. How be it in the spirit he speaketh mysteries? How be it in the spirit he speaketh mysteries? Folks, realize that this, uh, another translation of that, I think it's Weiss translation, instead of saying speaking mysteries, says speaks divine secrets. And that's a good translation. So a part of the utterance that the Holy Ghost gives us is divine secrets. When we speak in other tongues, unknown to us, and it seems to me, and now this is just a, a, an assumption, I can't prove it or disprove it one way or the other, but it seems that in our own private prayer life, we would speak a heavenly language, or we'd speak what Paul calls tongues of angels. There would be no natural interpretation to that. There would be no natural translation of that for somebody to hear and, and, and operate in, or hear and understand. So when we speak in other tongues concerning ourselves, as verse 4 goes on to say, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. That means to build himself up. That must be in the tongues of angels, as Paul refers to it. A heavenly language that only God and the Holy Spirit would know. Now in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it tells us a little bit about how the Holy Ghost helps us in this regard. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That word infirmities doesn't mean sickness. It means weakness. It means lack. Well, what weakness or lack is he talking about? Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what to pray for as we ought. That's where we fall short. We don't in every situation know how to pray for other people as we ought to. We don't in every situation know how to pray the will and the plan of God to come to pass. We may see what the plan of God is, but there's a lot of inner workings and behind-the-scenes operations that need to be taken care of that the Holy Ghost knows that we wouldn't know, and we wouldn't have any way to know. Paul said that we should pray and supplicate in the Spirit for all saints. Well, how are you going to do that? We don't know all saints. We hardly know each other well enough to know the real inner workings of things and how we need to pray. The closer related we are to one another or the closer we are in friendship, the more information we're going to have about what we could pray for for each other and that type of stuff. But even at that, even with some of our closest family members, there are things that we don't share with other people that God knows and in some of those cases needs to be prayed for. Well, that's another area and another way that the Holy Ghost will give us utterance. That's another divine secret that the Holy Ghost will give us. Back to 1 Corinthians 14. 
Paul said it again in verse 2, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue, or speaketh in a tongue literally, speaketh not unto men but unto God, for no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries or divine secrets. But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in a tongue edifies himself. Again, that means to build yourself up. Another alternate meaning is to charge yourself up like a battery. He that speaketh in a tongue edifies or builds himself up, but he that prophesies edifies the church. Verse 5, Paul says, I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Some people look at these scriptures and think that Paul is discouraging people from speaking with tongues. But he's not. He's just wanting the church to know what the place for tongues is. And Paul will tell us, he'll reveal to us that in his life, in his ministry, apparently God didn't use him in tongues and interpretation much. He relies more on the teaching gift that's upon him so that he can provide right doctrine for those that hear. Let's keep reading verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I speak unto you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? Apparently, speaking with tongues can enhance any of those four things. And Paul's saying it wouldn't do you any good if I came speaking with tongues unless those tongues led to these different things. I believe Paul knows that they do lead to those different things. And that's one reason that he uses to justify the fact that he speaks in tongues more than all of them. Even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? So likewise you, except you utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For you shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh as a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Paul's making a case for why they should change the way they're doing their services. It seems that when they went to church, everybody just wanted to speak in tongues all at once. Even so you, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue, again that word's in italics, him that speaketh in a tongue, pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a, in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then, or what shall I do then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with thy spirit, how shall he that occupies the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what you say? For verily thou givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. He says one of the purposes of speaking in tongues is to bless with the spirit. So if we all came together and it was just us believers all of us were spirit-filled or all of us knew about the working of the Holy Ghost. We could speak in tongues all at once and everybody would understand what we're doing. It wouldn't cause any confusion. But if there were unsaved people among us or people that don't know, maybe Christians, but don't know about how the Holy Ghost works, it'd bring confusion to them. And that's the point that Paul makes. He's trying to say that this has a specific place a specific manner in which it should be used and utilized. And primarily that manner should be in your own private prayer life. Now he's not saying there's anything wrong with speaking in tongues. He, he brings some guidelines to those things being used and operating in the church services. But again, Paul seems to be speaking in tongues more than them, primarily in his private life. Paul said in verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be children, but in understanding be men. So he's trying to get across to them 
the importance of speaking in tongues, but the importance also of knowing how they're supposed to operate. Now, it's an interesting thing because a lot of times, tongues and interpretation is what people are looking for to prove that the Holy Ghost is among us. And so you got people that'll turn their noses up or thumb their noses at the teaching of the Word because they want to be in a place where the Holy Ghost is moving. Yet Paul is saying the best moving of the Holy Ghost is that which brings you knowledge, right doctrine. We, uh, before we started the church, when we were doing some traveling, there was a, a church we ministered in and, uh, and the pastor kind of warned me ahead of time. And he said, um, Brother Mike, sometime during the service, there's going to be a guy that stands up and he's going to say this. He's going to speak in tongues, then he's going to interpret and he's going to say this. And I looked at him kind of funny like, and I said, how do you know? He said, he does it every service. Just does it every service. And I said, and he interprets the same thing every time? He says, every time. Watch and see if that's not exactly what he says. So sure enough, midway through the service, this guy stood up spoken uh, out in tongues everybody in the church just kind of groaned a little bit they knew what was coming too and he said just exactly what the pastor told me he was going to say now you may wonder what I did about it I didn't do anything about it that's not my church he's not my guy wouldn't be up to me to do anything about it now the guy meant well I had a chance to fellowship with him a little bit before the meetings were over. He meant well. He was a real uh, sweet, kind-hearted guy. And he thought that he was doing the best that he knew to do. He thought he was opening himself up to God. But he said the same thing every time, and it was something along the lines of, I love you with the, my little children, I love you with a great love. Do we really need to move the Holy Ghost to tell us that? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there are times where people are going through hard places, where all of us could use a little encouragement and that one thing from the Lord inspired by the Holy Ghost could bring us great comfort. But over and over and over again, these things get, begin to grate on us because it loses the supernatural touch, the supernatural aspect of what's going on. Paul told the church, to despise, not prophesize. He wrote to the Thessalonians. He said, don't despise, prophesize. Well, what would cause them to despise prophesying? The same thing, where it just goes on without any supernatural aspect. When the things of the Spirit or things that the Bible describes of the Spirit are carried out without an anointing, there's just no life to it at all. It becomes something that people disdain rather than look for I had a, a, an interesting experience last week and uh, I want to share it with you a little bit I was spending some time by myself or just happened to be by myself for a couple of hours and as is, as is the normal course of things when I'm by myself I just spend time speaking in other tongues and so I was doing it. It, didn't, it wasn't a big deal. It was not something I was locking myself away for or anything I was specifically seeking from God or anything like that. I'm just speaking in other tongues. I try to take advantage of every opportunity I can to build myself up. I learned that from Brother Hagin. He modeled that very well. So anyway, I was speaking in other tongues, and, and things changed. It wasn't like there was a real impression of the spirit that came upon me. And sometimes, it's, sometimes that's the way it works. And, and I like it when it happens that way. There are times where you begin speaking in other tongues and the Holy Ghost will take hold of you, with you. Give you almost wind, like wind in your sails and, and just push you along into it. And I like that. That's, that's something that is always enjoyable. But it wasn't like that. Other times, and let me say the flip side of the coin, there are other times where you're just praying in other tongues. There's no unction. There's no anointing to it. There's nothing that seems to be the help of the Holy Ghost. And God didn't promise that to us every time. That's just as much building yourself up as in the times where you feel the presence of God or have some kind of special unction for it. So you can't be moved by it either way. A lot of times people like to feel the Holy Ghost. And I'm in complete agreement with you on that but that's not always the way it works so anyway I was uh, I was just minding my own business 
praying in other tongues. And I came to the place where I stopped. And that's unusual for me. Why stop? It's not like something changed. It's not like somebody came in the room or the circumstance surrounding it changed. It was as if I ran out of utterance. And I've never had that happen before. And then all of a sudden, I was urged or prompted by the Holy Ghost, inspired by the Holy Ghost, to say one word in other tongues. I said it, didn't know what it meant, and then I'm out of utterance. And after another 15, 20 seconds maybe, I had an urge of the Holy Ghost to say another word, and I did. It was in other tongues, so I didn't know what it was, didn't know what it meant. And it happened three or four times within the course of just a couple of three minutes maybe. And at the, the third or fourth time, I said what I was prompted to say by the Holy Spirit. And then I just said inside to the Lord, I said, Lord, what is this? What's going on here? What is this? And instantly, the Holy Ghost brought to my remembrance times where Jesus spoke to people about their healing. We know of the times that the four Gospels record, the 19 individual cases of people healed. And of course, that doesn't take into account the multitudes or the groups of people. But so often... If you look back at those times, and I've spent a lot of time studying those different uh, individual cases of healing, or healing events, as I like to call them. There were times, most times, Jesus didn't operate the same way. For example, there are several times where he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. He said a, 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 a version of that to the centurion. He said, as thou hast believed, so be it done unto you. But like to the ten lepers, the only thing he said to them was go show yourself to the priest. He didn't wave his hand and say, be healed. But the leper in Matthew chapter 8, when he came to him and said, I believe you can heal me if you will. Jesus instantly stretched out his hands toward him, moved with compassion and said, I will be thou clean. And he was. To the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. But really, he only said that after she had received the healing without anybody saying or doing anything except her touching his, the hem of his garment. There was a case where two blind men followed him to wherever he was going. It says when they got into the house, they came to it. Now, I'm not sure, but it seems to me that it'd be kind of difficult for blind people to follow Jesus down the road unless somebody's helping them. But there's no mention in the scripture made of anybody helping. There's no mention of anybody aiding these guys in any way whatsoever. It's very possible that they had to struggle to get to where he was as a sign of their faith. But when they got into the house where Jesus was, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, Lord, that we might receive our sight. And Jesus asked them a question. He knew there was something that had to be answered. He said, do you believe I'm able to do this? The only time Jesus asked anybody if they believed he was able. Well, we know from the centurion, I mean from the leper in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus' willingness to heal. But Jesus was so sensitive to the Holy Ghost, apparently, that he knew what was the, the missing ingredient or he knew what area to approach to release their faith or to get them to release their faith. So he asked these two blind men, do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, yes, we do. And so their eyes were opened. And I began to, to well, I assumed, you put your own uh, interpretation on this. You judge for yourself. I assumed that from the things that came to me when I asked the Lord what this was about, they were all things about healing. I assumed that the words that I was speaking, and I said them with a force. It wasn't like the, the way that I normally speak or pray in other tongues. This just the same as the way you or anybody else would do it, I'm sure, where there's a flow to it, where there's just uneasiness about it. This was hard, chopped, specific words spoken with a fervor that it, 
was different than before it began. So I assumed I'm praying for healing. Now, whose healing am I praying for? Is it mine? Is it somebody else in the church? Is it somebody that we don't know about that's not part of our church family? I don't know. But this I do know. And I want you to turn to Jude chapter, uh, well, Jude's only one chapter. But notice in the book of Jude in verse 20. I want you to see what it says. Notice it says in verse 20, but ye beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Folks, when we pray in the Holy Ghost, it stimulates faith. It doesn't give us faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That's the only way faith comes. So praying in the Holy Ghost doesn't give us faith, but it can stimulate faith. And I've got to tell you, ever since that happened, I've been operating at a different level of faith since that point in time, specifically where my healing is concerned. Well, Paul talked about the church growing from faith to faith. What, if, what is that if it's not the growth of faith? What is that if it's not the stimulation of faith to take us from one place to another place? Now, did I all of a sudden start believing God where I wasn't, hadn't been believing him before? Absolutely not. But there was a stronger faith associated with it. Was and is. It's something... Well, how do I say it? There's a boldness about it that I didn't have before. I think that's a good word to use. There was a boldness about it. There is a boldness about it that wasn't there before. I'm looking at scriptures and saying, yep, that's me. I'm looking at things like Proverbs chapter 4, for example. Verse 20, where it says, My son, attend unto my words. That's me. Incline your ear unto my sayings. That's me. Let them not depart from before your eyes. That's me. Keep them in the midst of your heart. That's me. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. flesh. That's me. And I didn't have that kind of boldness before about it. Now, it's not like I was operating in doubt. I believe God and his word consistently through this thing. But there was something associated with the way that the Holy Ghost gave me utterance to pray or to speak. I don't know what I was doing. Call it whatever you want to. It doesn't matter to me. But there was something about that that built me up more than I had been before. There was something about that that gave me a boldness that wasn't there before. I wasn't shirking away from it. I wasn't timid. But there's a boldness now that there wasn't before. I know what David's talking about now when he says, my soul will put its boast in the Lord and, the, and others will hear, it, hear thereof and be glad. I know what he's talking about. A lot of these things I think we have mental knowledge about. But it's like Brother Hagin used to say, you can claim to know the word all you want to, but you really only know what you're living. The knowledge, or the, the knowledge of the word of God comes in full fruition through experience. Look with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You remember in James chapter 3, James said, he that's able to control his tongue is able to control his whole body. Folks, the supernatural utterance that the Holy Ghost gives us, it not only builds us up, it brings us spiritually to a place where we can control our flesh like nothing else will do. The utterance that the Holy Ghost gives us for whatever purpose, whatever his plan and his purpose is, if we'll yield to it, it brings supernatural results. In its simplest form, you remember the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. 
where God said, King James says, God said, let there be light. According to the original Hebrew language, the Hebrew transcripts, God simply said, light be. Well, folks, the Holy Ghost can give us the same kind of utterance. Jesus said he don't, won't speak of himself, but what he shall hear, that shall he speak. So when the Holy Ghost is giving us utterance, whether it's a normal thing, what we might call a normal thing, speaking in tongues the way that we normally do, or something special like what happened to me last week, I've never had that before. I'm looking forward to having it again, but I, I don't control it. But anyway, that the Holy Ghost gives us utterance, it's the Word of God put in practice. And our speaking that Word of God, that inspired utterance, even though we may not know what we're saying, that makes tremendous power available. What Word of God is without power? The old timers used to talk about praying down at your problems. Well, if we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, then everything is under our feet. So rather than being under the problem, under the circumstance, the old timers used to talk about it like we were seated with Jesus praying down at the problem. Now, folks, we can create a mental image of that just by the things that, we, that we've said. I'm sure when I used those words just a moment ago. You saw yourself seated with Christ in heavenly places. And thank God that's the way God set language up to work. God created language. He could have done anything he wanted to any way he wanted to. But when he created this earth, he created language to produce pictures on the inside of us. He created language or words to make images on the inside of us. When we're speaking words of God's promise, it makes God's promises appear in our minds so that we can see ourselves with those promises. Now, folks, you've got to realize there's only one reason God gave us the Word. There's only one reason God gave us the Bible, and that is to teach us about Himself and to fulfill His promises. See, without the Scripture... We wouldn't know what to expect of him. But he wanted us to know what, he, what to expect of him. He wants us to know how he operates. He wants us to know his character. He wants us to know his faithfulness. He wants us to know that when the word is spoken, there's not enough power in earth or hell to stop it from coming to pass. Those are the things he wants us to see. Those are the things he wants us to know. When we get discouraged and we read something about God never leaving us or forsaking us, even though we feel all alone, we get a picture of God on our side. And that picture will sustain us through the middle of the adversity, through the hardships and the hard places in life, if we'll keep that picture alive. That's what Proverbs 4.21 means when it says, let them not depart from before your eyes. Let God's word not depart from before your eyes. See yourself with the answer. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 14. The first part of the chapter was where Paul is talking about evil men waxing worse and worse as the end approaches. He says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. And has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Then he tells us about the word. The Bible is inspired utterance too. It's given by the Holy Ghost. And he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's the work of the Holy Ghost. And is profitable for doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. For reproof, the word reproof means to warn or to admonish. It can also mean to reprimand. But it's an encouraging thing. When God reproves us, he's encouraging us into spiritual growth. The next thing he says is for correction. Correction just means to straighten things out. 
And then the last thing he says is for instruction in righteousness. The word instruction is used six times in the New Testament. Four of those six times it's used uh, translated chastisement. One time it's translated here instruction and the other time in Ephesians where it uh, is translated nurture. Raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so what Paul is telling Timothy and us by the Holy Ghost is that God corrects you. God chastises you. God instructs you. He warns you. He admonishes you. He straightens things out in you by the word. He doesn't kill your dog. He doesn't make your kids get sick. He doesn't bring some hardship or some tragedy on you to teach you something. No, God's means of teaching is by his word. His means of admonishing or warning us is his word. His means of correcting us, straightening us out where we need to be straightened out is through his word. And his means of chastising us. Remember the Bible says, whom God loves, he chastises. He disciplines in other words. But he does that through his word. It's the word that lays us bare. It's the word that spanks us. Not circumstance, not adversity. And notice what he says the result of that is. Verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect or complete and entire, wanting nothing, in other words, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's the word that equips you. It's the utterance of the Holy Ghost that equips you. Now, that utterance of the Holy Ghost can be through the written word. That utterance of the Holy Ghost can be when we edify ourselves or build ourselves up, stimulate our own faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. Or it can be in some specialized way, some different way, like the experience that I had or many other experiences. We could stand here all night and talk about testimonies we've heard about the results of speaking in tongues and the way that God has done things in his people, in and among his people. But you've got the Holy Ghost on the inside of you that's waiting for you that he might give you utterance. And even the slightest thing, let me tell you this story to try to illustrate it. Brother Hagin had some difficulty even after he was healed. He had some difficulty with uh, accepting the idea of being baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues. And so he struggled with it for a little bit. There was a, a tent meeting, a tent revival going on in the town that he was in. And uh, he's still living with his, his uh, folks. Still a teenager. But he went to this, uh, this meeting because they believed in healing. The group putting it on believed in healing. So he went there for the sake of having some fellowship around healing because he was still standing alone. Nobody really close to him believed much in healing. His family could see the things that had happened, but they didn't know anything about the Word or the Bible or God's plan or anything else. So he went for the sake of fellowship around faith and healing. But he started hearing the things that they said about being filled with the Spirit. And so he researched the scriptures, talked to the Lord about it, and God finally convinced him. He says, okay, now I see it. So he went to the uh, uh, pastor's house, and the evangelist was there before the night meeting started. And so he told the pastor that he wanted to be filled with the Holy Ghost, and the pastor said, well, come to the service and, uh, and tarry for the Holy Ghost after the service. And Brother Hagin said, well, it won't take me long to receive and so the pastor and the evangelist kind of grinned at each other according to the story and said, this guy's ready, let's lay hands on him. And Brother Hagin said he doesn't remember if they said anything, he heard their words, but he didn't pay attention to what they were saying because he was talking to God about it. He received it by faith. He said the things that, that uh, identified his prayer and his request. And so he began to speak in other tongues. But he thought it was going to have a bigger effect on him than it did. He had always been quiet as a teenager and was still quiet at that point in time. Quiet of nature, I mean. And so he thought that when he began to speak with other tongues, it would make him this loud. He told the Lord after several days, and he was speaking in tongues all right and, and using it wherever he could. 
but still didn't know a whole lot about it. And so he told the Lord, he said, I've had bigger blessings than this before I ever got this. I've been more conscious of your power, specifically your healing power, before I ever had this experience. So he was really kind of down about it. He was discouraged. He thought that it was going to do things that the Bible really never tells us that it would do. And so he was disappointed. He was expecting the power that Acts 1-8 talks about. And he wasn't aware of any power. But he began to hear from somebody in the church that he was close to. He was, he was already preaching in the church at that point in time. I don't know if you could call it pastoring, but he was the, the main preacher in the church. And so there was a family that had gone away to Europe for part of the summer. And they had come back, and this guy said to the man that was kind of sponsoring Brother Hagen, what happened to our little preacher while I was gone? Or something happened to our little preacher while I was gone. Now, this guy had publicly said, told this guy, his friend, and, and also others, that if that speaking in tongues ever got in their church, he was pulling his family out. Well, the man that he was talking to that was close to Brother Hagin, he knew that Brother Hagin had been filled with the Holy Ghost. He knew that he was speaking in tongues. He hadn't preached about it. He hadn't said anything to the congregation about it whatsoever. But this fellow says, this fellow that had been gone for the summer said, something happened to our little preacher while I was gone. And so the guy said, well, what is it? He said, I don't know, but he's got more power than he used to. Well, Brother Hagin said, the long and the short of the story, Brother Hagin said, I had a lot of repenting to do. Here I'm trying to feel the power, and the people in my church are already recognizing that it's there. And he recognized that he did the same thing, made the same mistake that so many of us do. We put our own ideas on what's going to happen or how the things of God are going to work and what it's going to do and what it's going to produce and how it's going to feel and so forth. But he said, I had to repent. He said, from that time forward, I began to take in faith everything that the Bible said the Holy Ghost would do, that it was already present and operating in me. That's a good position of faith to take. See, folks, sometimes we don't see it, but somebody else does. Let me read one more thing to you from 1 Corinthians again, chapter 14. There are some difficult verses at the end of chapter 14 because it seems like the Bible is translating it in contradiction to itself. For example, it says, um, well, where do I want to start here? Let's start in verse 21, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. And then Paul says, wherefore, because of this, tongues are for a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them that believe. If therefore the whole church become together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or, un or unbelievers, will they not say that you're mad? Now in verse 22 he just said that tongues are for a sign to the unbelievers. But then he says in the next verse, if unbelievers come in and you're speaking in tongues, they're going to think you're crazy. Now, folks, Paul certainly knew what he was trying to communicate. And the confusion here has to be the translation. Now, the King James translators, at the point in time that the translation was made, and it's a, it's a landed into the English language. But the translators, the people that did the translating, they were part of the Church of England. That's the doctrine they understood. And there's nothing supernatural in the doctrine about uh, in the Church of England at that point in time. Maybe not even now. But the translators were certainly not spiritual men. 
we've got enough evidence and enough proof to identify that almost in every case, with the exception of the miracles in Jesus' ministry, almost in every case when they had the opportunity to translate something they went away from the miraculous of the supernatural. So in this passage of Scripture, we're going to have to leave, trust in Paul's explanation himself. So he read verse 23, If therefore the whole church be come together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say you're mad or crazy? Now he just said in verse 22 that tongues is a sign for those that, are, that believe not. Now he's saying in verse 23, or the translation says in verse 23, unbelievers think tongue, tongue talkers are crazy. Verse 24, but if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not or is unlearned, he's convinced of all and he's judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. So the example that he uses is quite clear. The example he uses is that prophecy serves for the unbeliever. Tongue serves as for the believer. Now back to the illustration or the, the event that we talked about before in Acts chapter 2. Where people heard the 120 speaking in tongues. Some of them heard it in their own language, their own tongue. Who are they? Are they believers or unbelievers? Well, they can't be believers in Jesus because they never heard about him yet. They may have heard about his crucifixion. They may have even heard about the controversy concerning his resurrection. But they haven't heard about him being the Savior and the Messiah. So they have to be unbelievers. But they're unbelievers that believe in the law. They believe in the law and the prophets. That's why they're in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. So I think we'd have to qualify them as believers to that degree. Because when Peter steps up and says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Saying, upon all flesh I will pour out my spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. They were familiar with the Old Testament. And so this meant something to them. But it didn't get anybody saved. But it arrested their attention so that Peter could preach to them. And what was it? 3,000 people got saved that day? But here it shows what Paul says the Holy Ghost should be doing in our services. Let me read it again. Starting in verse 24. He said, but if all prophesy. Now, the only difference in tongues and prophecy is that one, tongues is inspired utterance in a, in a language not known to the speaker. It may or may not be known to the hearer. Prophecy is inspired utterance by the Holy Ghost in a known tongue, in, in your native tongue, if you will, or your mother tongue. So Paul says, if all prophesy... And there comes in one that believes not or is unlearned. He is convinced of all. He is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. In other words, Paul seems to indicate that the Holy Ghost, we should be so open to the moving of the Holy Ghost that it brings unsaved people or unlearned people to revelation that causes them to know that it must be God. It can't be anything else. You remember in John chapter 4 when Jesus is at the well of Samaria and he talks to the woman. He talks to her about water. He's talking about living water. He's talking about salvation. She thinks he's talking about the water in the well. So he finally says to her, go call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, well, you're right about that. You've had four, and the guy that you're living with now is not your husband. That was what opened her eyes to who Jesus was. Well, isn't that very similar to this, this description? Paul seems to indicate that this is the way the Holy Ghost 
wants to move or should move so that the unsaved are convinced that God's in our midst. How many of us are believing for that? That's not something that we normally make a confession about, is it? I'm convinced, folks, that the Holy Ghost wants to do a lot more than what we let him do. Now, I know that there are some times where people get too high of opinion of themselves and what God wants to use them in. And they step out in the flesh and they make a mess of things. I get that. I understand that. I've seen it too many times. But there has to be a place where we grow to the point where we can be trusted by the Holy Ghost to do things in the right way. And I think it comes back to chapter 13 that Paul was talking about. These things have to be motivated by love. Not a concern for ourselves and what we're going to look like. Or an ego trip where somebody says, yeah, God's using me. But a real care for people that don't know Jesus. An overriding concern to reach every person that comes under our sphere of influence. But Paul doesn't seem to have any problem. And, and remember, this is a carnal church he's writing this to. He said they were babes. They didn't come behind in any good gift. That means the Holy Ghost was in full manifestation in their midst. Even though they were carnal Christians. And they certainly didn't care about anybody. Love was a foreign concept to them. You remember what Paul said about the way they were conducting the Lord's Supper. They didn't even care enough about everybody to make sure everybody could partake of it. Some of them were drinking to the point of getting drunk. And treating it like it was a church potluck. But that didn't keep the Holy Ghost from moving among them, did it? Well, if that didn't keep the Holy Ghost from moving among them, then why should we think that somebody messing up and making a mistake, whether it's for the right reason or the wrong reason, why should we think that would be enough to keep the Holy Ghost from using us too? See, the nine fruit of the Spirit are for character and holiness. The nine manifestations of the Spirit are for power. God's plan is that we should have power and holiness. Now, there are some people that have holiness and no power. Some people have power and very little holiness. But God wants us to have both. And when that becomes our motivation, then I believe we're going to see the Holy Ghost do the things that Paul said that he would do. Amen. Well, we're out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've taught us. Thank you for the ability to be led by the Holy Ghost to understand these things and see these things operate in our midst. Holy Spirit, use us. Use our church to reach people. Use the people of this church in every way that you can but certainly to reveal the hearts, to reveal the secrets of the hearts of the unsaved. Not so that we get any credit for it, but so that people would recognize the hand of God on them. From this time forward, Lord, we're going to believe you for those things. Holy Spirit, manifest yourself according to your will. Use who you want to, when you want to, how you want to. But Lord, we ask that it would result in people coming into the kingdom of God and the healing power of God flowing like a river through our doors. We ask this in Jesus' precious name, believing.